turn back now to Paul's first letter to Corinthians and chapter 12. And we can read at verse 18. 1 Corinthians 12 and at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so on, and looking at this uh, section of this chapter, and in thinking of what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, we always see that when we read these letters that there is always a bridge between where they were and where we are and there are always connections that we share with them. We might live in a different generation but in many ways the issues that the church faces do not really change and we see that as we read through this letter the many different challenges that Paul faced in this church in this first letter and in the second letter. There are some things that never do change and it is through engaging and interacting with these difficulties that we learn what can be wrong with the church and learn how what can what is wrong can be corrected and addressed and of course doing so by the grace of God and by the spirit of God and in continuing to reflect upon the whole concept of a church that is healthy that is able to do what God has called to do we have in, in the recent past we have looked at the purpose of the church from first timothy chapter 3 we are, have looked of at the church as a healthy body in ephesians chapter 4 we have looked at uh, the healthy heart of the church in ephesians 3 and we have looked at the transformed mind of the church in romans chapter 12 and so we are building up a picture of what this healthy church looks like that we are praying to be part of and are part of and as we continue to develop that picture we want to look at what Paul has to say in this chapter here and when we read through this letter we see the way in which Paul is challenged yes by the theology that that is around in Corinth and he addresses that but one of the things that he does address is that the saints of there being divisions amongst the people in Corinth. And the divisions are very much centered on individuals and centered on individuals who have particular gifts. And so those who are strong leaders, they have a lot of followers. And those who are not strong leaders in the people's eyes, they are despised. And these two factions and these two developments remind us of one of the features of a church that is unhealthy. There are divisions and factions and some are despised and some are put on pedestals. This is an unhealthy church. And we come into chapter 12 here and we see the way in which Paul wants to direct their whole minds away from the pagan culture in which they lived and the pagan way of thinking in verse 2 and to remind them that the spirit of God is the only source of the gifts that the people of God received 
and these gifts are so focused on the person of Jesus as the Jesus who is Lord. And the gift of the Spirit always brings the people of God to focus on Christ Jesus above everything else. And he goes on through the chapter to to develop that and to address the situation that he faces in Corinth. And so I want us to look this evening from verse 12 down to uh, verse number 26 and to think of the church and the unity and diversity of the body. In other words, the church made up of different people who are one in body, who have different gifts, but yet working together, they are the church of Christ. The unity and diversity of the body of Christ. I want to think, first of all, of the constitution of the church as a body, how it is formed. And we begin at verse 12, and, and Paul says, For just as the body has is one and has many members. It's very simple. He is using the, the metaphor of the body and drawing attention to the way in which it is one body, but so many different members. Limbs, every other aspect of organs and everything that makes up the body, they are all essential to the body. They are part of the body, and the body is not the body unless all of the members are in that one unit and unity, just as the body is one and has many members. And tonight we, we think of ourselves as the body, of, as the Church of Christ, and, and we have to see ourselves in this way, the, the body of Christ, which is one, and we are one, and not scattered members of the body. We are one in the unity of the body of Christ. And as we read through this lecture and with the previous chapter, we understand that Paul is addressing the place where perhaps the body of Christ comes to the foremost in the life of the church of God. And it is the way in which he is addressing the people in Corinth with regard to the Lord's Supper. And from verse 17 in chapter 10 through into chapter 11, he is addressing the way that they worship God and he comes to address the way in which they are celebrating the Lord's Supper and drawing attention to, to the fact that as those who are the people of God, that they are one body and that they are one bread and that they are one cup. Everything that they are doing at the Lord's Supper focuses on the one body of Christ and them being part of it. And we think of, of the Lord Jesus himself in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, for example, before he went to the cross and he is instituting the Lord's Supper. And he himself is, is saying to them, giving them the bread, this bread is my body for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. That is that sense of Jesus himself focusing in on the way in which in this one bread, they are to see themselves as the one body and as those who are disciples of the Lord Jesus and celebrating that oneness and that unity at the Lord's Supper. And in the very context of that Lord's Supper, that is where the problems are coming to light. 
There are those who are eating and there are those who are not eating. There are those who are celebrating and there are those who are, who are miserable. There are divisions and the divisions are coming to light where especially the unity, the oneness of the body should be displayed more than anywhere else. And in verse 29, for example, of the previous chapter, he's speaking of the way there are those who, who are eating and who are drinking without discerning the Lord's body. Sitting at the Lord's table and not recognizing that everyone else at the Lord's table is one with them in Christ. And sitting at the Lord's table despising the others because they don't see them as good as themselves, they don't see them as gifted as themselves, and so they are not discerning the Lord's body. And Paul goes on to remind them that because they're not doing that, they are eating and drinking judgment on themselves. It is a serious matter. In the eyes of Paul, in the eyes of the Lord Jesus, that if we are not recognizing the unity, the oneness of the body of Christ, that you and I are actually one along the rest of the church of, of Christ in the world, one body and one unity of membership. And it's important for us to recognize that, to recognize it in the light of what Paul is addressing here in the church in Corinth and to recognize it in our own experience day by day to have our minds informed with the fact that this salvation is not individualistic it is personal in order to bring us into the body but it is not individualistic so that we live on our own and serve on our own it is God bringing us together in one complex body but yet a group of believing people. And when we think of the human body, for those who understand it, and, and I don't claim to understand much about it, but when we think about it, the complex way, as we read in, and sang in Psalm 139, the complex way in which we are made, our limbs, our organs, our, our, our brains, our tissues, our nervous system, our immune system, everything working together, to leave you and me here tonight with that body. And once one of these things ceases to function, then it affects the whole body. There is the marvel of the body of Christ. One complex gathering of people into one body. And Paul wants to remind them, as he wants to remind us, that that has taken place by the creative spiritual activity of God. And that's what he comes to in verse 13. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all are made to drink of one spirit. Baptized into one body. Paul in Romans 6 simply says that by our baptism we are united with Jesus. Two becomes one. And we see in Ephesians 5 that that's the way in which marriage is designed in accordance with God's creation in, in the Garden of Eden. Two become one. This is a mystery. But I speak of Christ and the church. That in the moment 
that we come to believe in the Lord Jesus, that we become one with him, and that because two things are happening. First of all, we are in one spirit, baptized into one body. The spirit of God that brings us alive from the dead is that spirit of God which unites us to Jesus in such a way that we are bound forevermore with him in one body. It's a spiritual union. It's created by the spirit of God. It's irreversible. It's unbreakable. It's the creative hand of God. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are baptized by one spirit into one body. And there's a wonderful marvel that, that you and I can are taken by God from uh, our darkness in the world to, to be sitting under the gospel as those who are the children of God and to rejoice in that. But we, we lose sight of so much of the marvel unless we see the other side of that. Not so much where we are here, but more of where we are in Christ and where we are in God's eyes. That God has not only taken you from the darkness in which you were into his own marvellous light, but that he has taken you from being without Christ and separate from Christ and united you with Christ. And you are here as the child of God this evening and you are not on your own, you are united to Christ. And nobody can see that. It's a mysterious, invisible union, but it's a vital and living union. And that is the union that gives life to us. We are baptized by one spirit into one body. And along with that, we are all made to drink of one spirit. And we can think of Jesus and that great feast of the tabernacles in, in John chapter 7. If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And John goes on to say, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, which was not yet. And of course the Spirit existed, but it was not yet given to the church. But the Jesus who said to the woman of Samaria, if you drink of the water that I will give you, you will never be thirsty. It's the same Jesus who, who gives his Spirit and places his Spirit in the hearts of those who are his children and who are united to him. And so there are these two aspects that, that bind us together, that constitute us as the body of Christ, and they are all the work of the Lord Jesus, who sends his Spirit according to the purpose of God the Father to bring us alive, and then who sends his Spirit again in the purposes of God to dwell in our hearts. And that makes us what we are. And the goal of all of that activity is so that you and I, in a sense, lose our identity and our identity be becomes the identity of Jesus Christ. We are in him. It is not I who live, says Paul, but Christ lives in me. We have our identity as those who are the children of God, but that identity exists now in our relationship with Christ and in our union with him. And that makes us the one body of Christ.
And again, when we when we think of, of the of the wonder of the of the human body itself, and think of the, of the wonder of of the nervous system that, that transmits all of the signals between our brains and the, and the rest of our bodies, including our organs, and the way in which that process governs the body and its activities, our ability to move and to breathe and to see and to think and everything else that we do, when you think of that with our physical bodies, how wonderful it is. That there is a nervous system that belongs to the church as the body of Christ that enables you and I to to be active, to think, to learn, to know, to understand, and it is all within the body of Christ as we are together. So what you have, you don't have uniquely on your own. And sometimes, of course, we feel that that's the way it is. But we have to have our thinking expanded so that even our personal experience of all that God has done for us is found and understood to be within the bigger picture. And so that you are there with all that God has done for you and saving you from your sin. And the, the person next to you is in the same And as much as you are individual, the higher thing, the most important thing is that we are all one in Christ Jesus. And once we we think of that and the marvelous work of God in in creating such a a wonderful body of, of people joined together, what a great blessing and privilege And what a great challenge that when we leave the worship of God and we go out into our daily lives, we are still connected together. And no matter how far we go from each other, that so we are still one in the body of Christ. The Constitution will rejoice in God's salvation. And we marvel at the way in which he has pulled everything together so that tonight everything that Christ is and has and has secured belongs to all those who put their trust in him, the Constitution. Secondly, I want us to think of correction. And first of all, correction and Comparison. One of the most destructive temptations that we have as Christians is to compare ourselves with others. And more often than not, when we do that, we see others so much better than ourselves and then so able to do the things that we cannot do. And we come to wrong conclusions about ourselves and on the basis of what we're seeing in others, we see ourselves disconnected, in a sense amputated from the very body of Christ to which he has united us. And when we read at verse 14, that's exactly the situation and the problem that Paul is addressing. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And he's using the, the, the metaphor of, of, the, of the physical body and creating this kind of conversation that, that sees different members of the physical body comparing with, with one another and on the basis of that comparison concluding that one is not a member because they are not the other. Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. And of course, we think of the thing quite literally. And we understand that that's nonsense. Because your hand isn't your foot, doesn't mean that your hand is not part of the body. Because your eye is not your ear, doesn't mean to say that your eye is not part of the body. Of course it is still part of the body. And he's, he's addressing the situation where there were those who were infer- felt inferior in Corinth. They felt themselves to be less than others. And because of that, they were not part of the work of the gospel in, in, in the city of Corinth. And Paul goes on to, to state this quite clearly. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In actual fact, he is saying to them that if what you're saying is true, the body is a monster. And the body that is just all eye is just a, a monster that we might see on, on science fiction in some way that is presented to, to capture attention and tell a, a, a fictional story. But a body that's all eye is a monster, a body that is all ear is a monster. Only the body that has all of the members is a real body. And tonight, you and I have to be on our guard against the temptation of comparison that leads to the sin of disconnection and that leaves us spiritually depressed because we cannot see ourselves being worthy to do anything for God because we see everyone else so much better. And that that same sin also applies to to, to me when when I'm looking perhaps into the church of Christ with a a desire in my heart for the Jesus who is the saviour of the people of God and longing to have that same salvation and to embrace the beauty offered And in in that longing, comparing myself to those who I see are are already the people of God. And in that comparison, I see them so much better than myself. And because I, I see them like that, I become discouraged. And I take a step back from, from that step of, of personal faith which is discipleship in the Lord Jesus and becoming part of following him. And tonight, if, if, if you are there, then you have to be on your guard against the sin. You have to take action to ensure that you're not giving over to it and to ensure that no matter how you see others, that is not the point. The point is there is salvation in Christ and there is salvation in no other. 
and to him you must come. And for the child of God, we are all called by God to, to serve him, to be his disciples. And so often we are guilty of the sin of comparison. If we don't see ourselves as useless, we can maybe see ourselves as not able to do what others are doing. And because of that, think that we have no role in, in the life of the church. And that makes us despondent. It makes us lose our, our path and perhaps a sense of our hope. And we do become disconnected in that kind of felt sense from the people of God. And that correction is important. And, and, and Paul comes to, to correct that sin of comparison in verse number 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. It's the kind of, of image of, of pieces scattered all over the place. And God bringing all of these pieces together in a structured, ordered, arranged way so that what looked a, 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 a mess of different pieces comes together in what is actually a glorious picture of a body that is perfect, that has all of the parts arranged together so that each one has its own purpose and value. And to, tonight, we, we are scattered across our church here. The people of God are scattered across the world. But God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. That, that wonderful word that speaks of the will of God. Jesus said in the garden, not my will but yours be done. Time after time we read of the way in which because of the will of God, the desire of God, the inclination, the plan of God, things take place. God chose to make his name known to you and to make the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints in Colossians 2. Jesus gives life to whom he will. And tonight God is wanting us to, to take note that he has arranged you and me in the church, the body of Christ, as he chose. And the very God who elected you and chose you from before the world was, is the same God who chose you to be the member of the body that you are. And you should never be guilty of the sin of comparison, because ultimately, you are complaining about what God has made you and where he has placed you and the gifts that he has given to you. The correction and the sin of comparison. And thirdly, there is the correction and the sin of composition or the sin of superiority. 
It was the other sin that was prevalent in, in Corinth. That sense of one being better than the other. That sense of looking down on other people. And that's what Paul comes to address in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And that's what was happening with the Lord's Supper. That's what was happening with the life of the church. And, and because of the way in which there was that kind of social hierarchy in, in Roman culture, there was this spiritual hierarchy in the church in Corinth. And those who were at the top of the pile looked down on those that they considered to be at the bottom of the pile. And by looking down upon them, they were saying to them that they have no need of you. The sin of comparison is harmful, but the sin of superiority is even more destructive to the life of the church than the one of comparison. On the contrary, says Paul, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts of the body that we think less honourable we bestow the greater honour, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. The indispensable, weaker members of the body. Isn't it wonderful tonight that the person that in the eyes of other people is dispensable may be the very person that's indispensable to who we are as the people of God, to who the community is as we seek to serve God, that the person who is invisible and who we think nothing of is the very person that bears us before God and is the instrument that God uses for blessing. And Paul was warning the church in Corinth about making that mistake of discounting those who were invisible. And when we read of the way in which he describes that, those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. There are two things that we can think of. There are, first of all, the vital organs of our bodies. They are invisible. No one tonight can, can, can see your brain or your heart or your lungs or your liver. No one can see the way in which your body works. It's invisible. And despite that, you couldn't sit here or do anything or go anywhere unless these invisible organs, which are crucial to the way in which your body works, unless they were in place and your heart, your brain, they're all so vital to your living and to being part of the body. They are precious, they are covered, they are invisible, they are covered by God himself. And that doesn't mean they are less valuable. It does mean that they are actually more honourable and more valuable, or vital organs. And there is also the sense of as we read through these words, of the sense of, of the, the human reproduction organs. 
that, that there is that kind of privacy and that kind of cover uh, and clothing on them so that they are invisible as we journey on through life. They are vital to the life of the body and to the life of, of humankind in this world. They are honourable and they are invisible. And in the, in the grace of God, that's the way in which God has designed it. They are more honourable. They are indispensable. The very members that we would begin to cast off and to write off. And then we're thankful to God, as I said earlier, for the way in which the most perhaps indispensable person in our community tonight, in the eyes of God, is the person that we don't consider and perhaps don't see and don't think anything of, that they are, that he or she is the person that is indispensable to God. And because of that, and we, we have known that down through generations, that there were those who were praying in, in, in the privacy of their own homes and in, in their own hearts. And God was using their prayers and God was using them in that private place for the advancement of his kingdom. And to, to drive home that point, Paul says in verse 24, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. God has so composed the body. He has brought it all together. He has arranged it. In the previous uh, mention in verse 18, he has arranged it. But that arrangement was in accordance with this composition. And the, the composition brings us, us back to, to the image of arranging in accordance with the composition that was in God's mind. And so we have here that, that correction that God has, has so composed the body in that way, giving greater honour to the invisible parts that the members may care for one another. And as Paul says in Ephesians 5, no one ever hated his own body. And if we, if we recognise ourselves to be tonight those who belong to the, to the body of Jesus Christ, we, we have a, a, our own sense of, of the immune system of the body that works in order to, to guard the body and, and that does so to fight off all disease-causing germs, to protect the body from the environment around and to, to guard the body in fighting the diseases that, causes, that cause changes in the body. We care for each other. And how important is 
the immune system for our physical bodies. We can never survive without it. And once the immune system shuts down, then the organs begin to fail and death creeps in. And God tonight is reminding us that he has composed his church as the body so that we care for everything that might harm this body to keep it healthy. And the health of the body is dependent on the contribution of all of us together. And our own personal health is dependent on the contribution of those who are around us. But there is that unity and that diversity in the church as the body of Christ which makes it healthy. And when the body is healthy, it wants to work. It wants to look for employment. It wants to look for service. And it's that healthy body that is looking for service that I trust we'll be able to begin to look at as we continue our examination of the marvelous picture that God gives us in his word of his church in the world. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we marvel in your presence, at your wisdom, and at the mystery of the way in which, in the working of your eternal mind, you have formed and fashioned your church in the world, arranged it as you have, in accordance with the composition of your mind, and done so for your glory and also for our good. And help us, O Lord God, to embrace all that is for our good. Help us to hear the beauty of how we become your people. Help us to hear the correction that we may learn not to compare. And help us, O Lord, to hear the correction also that we may learn not to feel superior, but to understand the way in which you give greater honour, perhaps, to the invisible, hidden members of the body who are so crucial to the way in which your church works in the world. So bless your word to us, we pray, and help us to continue to wait upon you. And bless us, we pray, for we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.